Take number 47. Just kidding. Hi, what's up, everyone? It's Timothy, the interior design consultant, and thanks so much for tuning in to episode three. I'm going to talk about the process of interior design because I was talking with a friend uh, who is a designer, and she and I were talking about the fact that there are so many different processes to what we do as designers. Now, not talking about um, you know just different ways of doing it. No, I'm talking about the actual process that which we take or in which we take to achieve any kind of design, whether it be interior design, uh, traditional interior design, uh, or a bathroom renovation or a kitchen renovation. So we're talking about how that would even change from one project to another. So I wanted to touch base on that and tell you what my process was, or rather is. And hopefully by listening to this, you can actually restructure your process to be a little bit more efficient for you and your client or if you don't have a process, maybe it'll get you to actually create a process because I do think it's really important to have that. I think it's important to have those steps in place so that way every single design you do, you follow that and you're just making yourself and your team more efficient and you're getting your projects done um, more efficiently and you know there's so many other benefits that come into having a set process into your design. So... Starting off right off the bat with a consultation. Now, there's two types of consultations that I even offer. There's a free consult, which isn't really a consult. It's more of a, hey, let's get to know you and, uh, you know, see if things work out. Do you know what I mean? And then there's the interior design consultation, which you're being charged for, um, or rather you're charging your clients for. Now, I charge right off the bat 250 for one hour. And during that hour, there is even a process in that. So I'll tell you what that process is. And then we'll kind of go back to, you know, the other part of the free consult to show you, or rather tell you, um, you know, what I talk to my clients about, um, how I get to know them and their projects and so on and so forth. So the first one is 250 for one hour. I go to their project site. Now, I actually don't go further than 50 miles away. And the reason why is because that's a long freaking drive. And I don't want to drive that far, especially in Los Angeles, because, well, you know, the traffic. But when I go to my client's house, the very first thing I do is introduce myself in the company. And we talk a little bit about no more than maybe like five to 10 minutes about, um, you know, how we got to where we are and how we help our clients. And I even talk to them about this kind of process because I think that's important. And once you talk to them about your company and and what you bring to the table, then you kind of go through every single part of their house that they want to do and that they want to include in the project and the scope. And we're talking about, you know, everything now, because they're paid for that time, you throw up everything you can about your vision as a designer for that space. Now, during that first 10 minutes or so, you're also kind of gauging where they are. You're looking at around uh, to see their current style, and maybe their current style isn't exactly what they should go to. Maybe they have a farmhouse or a craftsman, uh, and they have an eclectic interior um, that just doesn't work with even the outside of the house. And so you're, you're kind of, you know, observing in that respect to try to really gauge you know, where you should go at that point uh, for the design. And so once you kind of understand, you know, that part of it, then you can kind of, you know, gear towards that during the walkthrough. And you kind of given yourself an, an understanding of 
you know, what you really want to do with this space or what your client wants to do with the space to, you know, kind of make the design overall aesthetically pleasing and uh, work with not only the exterior of the house, but, um, you know, work with their personal life and, and how they want to live. After all, it's their house. It's not your house. So you wouldn't want to design it based solely on what you as a designer want to do. Those are called cookie cutter designers and those aren't really designers to me. Um, but once you walk through every space, you're just taking preliminary pictures. Now I do two sets of pictures. The first is during the initial consult. And then the second set is through, uh, a, a professional, uh, either a professional photographer, uh, or through your camera, your phone camera. And I'll kind of give you a little tip on that even when we get to there. Um, but I'm taking pictures with my cell phone. Um, but these are overall pictures. They're just to jog my memory for when I'm doing the proposal, um, and going through each room and kind of creating the proposal and the scope of work um, just from memory. And so, and obviously my notes that I'm writing down during the meetings, and I tend to not really write a lot of notes during meetings because I want to pay attention 100% to my client. Um, and I feel like if I'm, you know, writing a lot and my face is buried in my notebook, that it's just a little unprofessional to me. So the pictures actually really help me jog my memory um, during the proposal stage. And so... Um, when we get to, you know, walking through this space, talking to the clients, really understanding what they want and taking notes, I'm not doing any measurements during the space either. That's a different, um, step as well altogether because it just takes too long. Um, you know, then I'm kind of throwing up everything I can about, you know, what I envision for the space and seeing if it even connects with the client because this is the perfect time to actually do that. It's the perfect time to really gauge whether or not your client and you are going to work out. And so once that's done, uh, then we get into kind of like a Q&A because there are a lot of questions that clients have. And actually prior to meeting the client, I actually have an episode about the uh, my, my best tool in my arsenal, and that was the ebook that I have. Um, it's actually, I think, 30-something pages. Um, I'm finally finished with it, but th- having that, it actually instructs them in there to write down as many questions as they can think of to go over during this first consultation. And I think that's really important because a lot of those questions you don't really think about on the fly. And it's really good because I usually book my appointments out about a, a week to two weeks, depending on scheduling. So it gives them an opportunity to really think about and sleep on those questions and write them down and have those readily available during your consult. So I spend a decent amount of time answering those questions and stuff like that. I never, never, never bring material during the first meeting um, ever because the problem with that is people will take those and they'll, they'll have a visual memory of that and they'll say, okay, thanks for your time, blah, blah, blah. And they'll remember, okay, he brought a white shager cabinet or you know, white traditional or, you know, antique white. And he had a uh, beveled backsplash, um, a subway backsplash. And he also brought, you know, an LVT piece of floor. And they'll remember LVT, trust me, if, especially if you mention it. Um, and so you try to prevent that as much as possible. Even though you're getting paid 250 or whatever you're going to charge your client for that one hour, you want to prevent them from being able to go and source that elsewhere um, and not hire you for that. So never bring material in the first meeting. So then after uh, you know the q and I instruct them that, hey, within 24 hours, I usually do it the same day because I, 
I overachieve. I always tell clients, you know, within 24 hours or 48 or something, something will happen. Um, and I deliver the content way less than that. Um, so, for example, if my consult is at 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock, um, I will stay up a little later and get that proposal to them before midnight. And that's just because, you know, it's better. It speaks better. You know, client gets an email. Um, you know, they, oh, he got it to me, you know, way earlier than he had even said. So it just speaks better. It's a little more professional. And of course, there's a lot of misconception or thoughts or theories about sending emails past a certain time at night, but I don't really care about that, to be honest with you. I tell my clients that I'm readily available to them. Uh, they all have my, my cell phone number. Um, you know, even if I got a text at night, I won't answer it generally. Um, I'll answer an email before I answer a text, but, um, yeah, well, that's a whole different subject about communication that we'll go into later. Now, the second part of the consult, not the second part, but the second consult type is just getting to know you. And that's a little different because it's sort of like a coffee date. It's a blind date. Um, and you want to make sure that whoever you're getting into bed to is going to be good first. I mean, let's be real. So a lot of this comes down to psychology, you know, kind of talking with your client, um, asking them personal questions, not, and I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, what, what kind of food do you like to eat? No, uh, I kind of want to know, have you ever hired a designer before? Which I still ask that in the other consult, but this is a lot of just question asking and, um, understanding why they're changing their space. What's different about their life now than there was, you know, five years ago, um, and kind of gauging, you know, when they come home every day and yeah, it's a lot of the same things I do in the paid consult. The difference is I'm not talking about design in this consultation. It's a lot of getting to know the client and talking about, you know, uh, me as a person and as a designer and them and how we mesh and talking about their aesthetics and, um, and seeing really if this, if the chemistry is there between clients and myself. And so that still happens even during the paid one. Really, literally the difference between the two is just you're talking about design and throwing up a lot of your ideas in the paid one because that's what you're paid to do is you're paid to be able to look at the space and, um, you know, construct that space from the floor up in your in your mind and it'd be perfect, you know, for every client. So that's what they're paying for, in essence. So you're really structuring the unpaid consultation the same way. You're just omitting the, you know, giving them ideas that they can run away with um, and go source themselves. And thank you for not paying, you know, uh, to do that. And a lot of clients will do that. You'll get that, especially starting off if you don't know how to control that. Um, step two, after the consultation and after I send them their proposal, uh, we then go into signing of the agreement. I have like a 13-page agreement, and I think the next uh, episode will be kind of going over my uh, the agreement that I have and kind of telling you stories about why certain clauses are in there. And, and trust me, my contract when I first started was like two pages long, and now it's 13 pages because as you go and as you do deal with clients – things always come up in projects that you're like, shit, well, maybe I should have that in my contract because the client did something that, that really affected your your design or really affected your business. And it's really important that you add things in your contract as you go to minimize the risk of those things happening in the future. And of course, you absolutely should be consulting with a lawyer about that. 
but uh, it's good to add clauses as you go to protect yourself and your business. And it's not, I'm not talking about clauses that don't protect the client. Every, you know, the contract should be protecting both of you on different levels. Um, but, you know, just the fact of protecting yourself and your business is, I think, priority one. Um, and priority two is just making sure that you and your client can agree with things that, you know, that your company puts forth in the contract. Then I collect a non refundable fee. Now, I'm very careful with that wording because I don't know if you know, and I'm not a, des- I'm not a lawyer. I was about to say I'm not a designer. No, I'm a designer. I'm not a lawyer. But um, uh, what I heard through the grapevine was that if you use the word deposit, that means that it's refundable. So hypothetically saying, and of course, since I'm not a lawyer, uh, I could be totally wrong. Um, I've just heard this theory and I just stay away from it just to minimize the risk. And I haven't really talked to my lawyer about it anyway, because it's not really a big thing. Um, It's just wording at that point. But by using the word deposit, it indicates that it's a refundable amount. And so hypothetically saying you collect this deposit, quote unquote, from your client and you begin work and let's say that there's a huge falling out with your client midway and they terminate the agreement, theoretically, that deposit should be returned to the client because it was just a deposit. Um, just like with uh, renting a house or an apartment, you give them a deposit and unless you trash the place, yep, that deposit's returned to you when you leave. Um so I steer away from using that word. I steer away from using retainer as well. And I just say non-refundable fee to commence, you know, the, the project or commence service or the for the commencement of services. Um, and once the signing of the agreement and that that fee is collected, uh, then we get, you know, hit the ground running. Now there's the next step or the next section, which is research, design, and presentation phase. So the right after the contract, usually the day after, I'm at the project site and doing those measurements. Uh, the measurements, depending on the city and the scope of work, like if we're doing kitchen renovation, a lot of cities actually require you from permitting to have a whole floor plan of the whole house, or at least that whole first the floor that you're doing the work because they need to see where that work is being done relative to the house. And so there's a lot of time spent measuring and, um, you know, that's also a great opportunity to get even more photos than the first. And that's that second part of the photos that I was talking about. The first is just to jog my memory for the proposal. And then during measurements, I'm also taking at least, you know, 10 pictures per space because there's times during a project where, I need to reference like, you know, um, oh, did this room have this? Or if I forgot a measurement, I can reference back to the picture. And um, I use keys, uh, you know, key things to try to figure out the measurement. And yeah, it's not in, it's not correct, but I'm not using those measurements usually for scale. Um, so it's just a lot of reference uh, building at that point. So that's a really good way to um, to help with with that at least like if you're forgetting about something refer back to the pictures and that's a really great opportunity to do that so um and during this is also a good time for uh final criteria meeting so it's a great time for clients to tell you hey by the way i wanted to add this or if you um, had questions about stuff that you didn't ask during the agreement or the consultation now's a good time to do that before you actually begin designing then step four is uh, design and documentation so um, this is where you kind of hit the ground running. You're doing your CAD work, your elevations, your electrical, your plumbing, 
Um, so execution of the floor plans, you're sourcing your first set of goods and, uh, and services, and you're procuring estimates based on uh, your preliminary floor plans. Um, I do everything in threes, so um, I do all designs in threes. So if we're doing a uh, kitchen renovation, I'm doing three different layouts of the kitchen. I'm doing, and then also there's the elevations to that too. So if you figure there's four walls in a kitchen, there's four elevations um, that I have to do per um, <laughs> per design. So I kind of screw myself in that sense, but it's in the scope of work. And I think that it's important to have those options for clients. I'll never do just one design and say, Hey, here's what you have to do. And let's revise it from there. I'll give my clients options. Uh, and they, they pay for those options. So before we present, I also do one preliminary, uh, sourcing of materials. So I'll source, uh, you know, three flooring options, three backsplash, three cabinetry, three finish hardware, three paint uh, scheme selections. And um, I bring those to the presentation meeting. Um, usually, though, during uh, that, I, I just try to do one and kind of gauge what they're going with from there. So I'll just do one design. So just choose one cabinet, one backsplash, one floor, flooring sample, um, and one color. Uh, that the kitchen's going to be, and then I present that during the presentation, and then we do revisions from there, and I say, hey, you know, what about this? Don't you like? Where do we need to go? And then I'll schedule a second presentation, so to speak, um, then showing them the three different options um, going from based on, you know, the preliminary uh, presentation that we have with the client. Um, so we, we kind of add a couple more steps in there in the process just because it's really important that our clients are happy, right? So we want to make sure that if they don't like our initial presentation that we revise that and we bring them more options from there. But that's all I'll do. Um, if I bring them those three options and they say, you know what, I don't really, I don't know, I don't really like this and blah, blah, blah. And those options were chosen based on their preliminary um you know, ideas, their, their feedback from that initial presentation, um, then they're just, they're going to charge more. Um, I mean, they're going to be charged more for, you know, you having to now go and redo that, all of that. Um, so we're just really careful with that. And you just, as long as you set the expectation with your client, then you shouldn't have a problem. Um, then we go into another whole phase of project fulfillment. So after the presentation and after they've approved the floor plan, after they approved all of the materials, now we place the order for all of those materials and we figure out when things are going to get delivered to the warehouse. Once everything's ordered, um, then we go into budget and process review. So the thing about budgeting is that we don't include shipping costs when we show them the preliminary budget. And the reason why is because especially with custom furniture, they use like third-party freight companies that will charge you when you actually call them to pick up the the uh, the pieces. So we don't really know delivery fees until, you know, it's already picked up by the freight company and that's when they tell us what it is. Um, so we, we kind of have to go through a few budget revisions and reviews and so on and so forth, uh, you know, at least during those initial phases and that will change the, the cost, obviously. Um, then we're in step eight with the initiation of construction. So um, once we actually select a contractor, we begin demolition. And hopefully by that time, during the week of demolition, um, all of our material is starting to come in. So your tile, your flooring, your 
uh, backsplash your cabinetry, so on and so forth. If uh, unless it's actually custom cabinetry, it's still being built. But um, we're trying to place orders to get delivered during the week of um, of demolition, because then once demolition is done, we're prepping specifically for the material that we have. So. Um, right after the initiation of the construction, um, then we're getting into the install period. And we've received orders to the warehouse. We've checked them to make sure uh, things are good. And at that point, that's a great opportunity to see if like tiles are broken. And then um, we can get a new order of tiles to replace the broken ones that broke during shipping. Um, then once the orders are received and checked, we obviously give those to the general contractor. The general contractor usually come to the warehouse to pick it up from us. We don't deliver that. We can, but it's an additional fee and it doesn't make sense because it'll be more than just having the contractor come and pick it up. Um, so then once construction's done, uh, and all of the material is installed, then we get into furniture installation and styling. Uh, so all the furniture, uh, accessories, so on and so forth, were purchased during construction um, and set in the warehouse. And we actually style things in the warehouse um, just to make sure things will go good. And like we'll put you know botanicals on uh, credenza uh, and we'll place things in uh, like how we would in the house just to make sure that it's perfect. And then there's uh, step 11 where we'll tell the client to not come into the house for about a day, a whole day. Well, um, there, it depends on the project size, but I've sent um, clients, you know, to lunch or something um, and said, hey, just, you know, go to lunch, do whatever you want to do. And then we install all the furniture and we style everything while they're gone. And then we reveal that at the end of the day. During that time, that's a great time to check for deficiencies. Um, so while you're revealing to your client, your client's like, oh, I love this, but I don't really like how this vase works. And, you know, we'll obviously take note and uh, we can make adjustments, which then go into step 13 of revol- resolving those deficiencies in the project. Then once that's done and once we fix any issues that, that arise from the final walkthrough of the client with the client, um, we're closing the project um, by having a meeting. We're presenting them the final invoices. We're getting feedback. And this is the perfect time for your clients because the project's done. They're sitting in their new space and they're providing you feedback with you know how they felt during the project. Was there anything that you should have done differently as a designer to make their, their job as a client much more enjoyable? Um, was there something the contractor did that they didn't like? Was there something said? Was there a piece of furniture that they just didn't like? Or um, whatever the case is, now is a perfect time to actually get that feedback from your client because it's crucial. That's how you're going to build as a designer is getting that feedback. And you want, at the end of the day, you want that client to go to their friends and family and say, oh my God, this designer's great. You need to hire them to do your house and get those referrals um, from your client because the referrals are key. They're gold. Um, they're not internet clients. They're not clients that just randomly heard from you. Um, they're clients that um, found you from you doing a project from their friends or family. And that's like the best thing because they've already seen your work. They've got a firsthand um, testimonial from that client. And that's that's amazing right there. And then once the project closure meeting, um, we do the sign off on the project. Uh, we give them a form, a project closure form, where they sign off saying everything's a okay. There's a zero balance on the account. Everything's all paid up, 
Um, and you know, you thank them for their time and you even should follow up with them a week later, say, Hey, you know, it's been about only a week and it feels like a month. How is your new space? Like, I just want to know, just tell me everything. Um, is there anything that's changed since even our project closer? You want to keep up with that client and make sure that, um, you really care about the space that you did. So that's, I mean, uh, pretty much in a nutshell, that is, the whole process that I would take at least for like a, a renovation project with a little bit of furniture. And, um, you know, you could take that and really build upon it. And I will actually, um, have this, I have this as a PDF. Um, so if you really want it, please reach out to me, Timothy at the interior design consultant.com. Um, and I'd be more than happy to share this process with you. And uh, hopefully you can you can totally copy the process. It's, it works for us and our team and what we do. So maybe it will work for you. If it doesn't, then you can tweak it however works best for your firm um, or your work. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll um, make your projects a little more efficient and um, give you a little bit more peace of mind on how to get things accomplished. And so we also have our first sponsor. So I'm really excited about this. Creative Pixel is an online platform that connects true professionals with consumers. So they vet literally every listing on their site to ensure that they get the best pros on their in the industry. So we're talking about interior designers, graphic designers, photographers, architects. I think they even have animators on there. Um, but they basically vet these pros because they understand that there's people out there that don't do it legitimately as, as a business. And it's really important for creative pixel to, um, offer these professionals to consumers and know that that professional is a legitimate professional. So you can list your business, uh, for free today. If you fall under any of those categories of interior design, graphic design photographers, and there's a bunch more on their site that you could see. Um, but sign up today for free by going to www.creative-pixel.net. Sorry. Uh, so www.creative-pixel.net. So thanks so much for listening. Please do me a huge favor and click that subscribe button and show me some love. See you guys in the next episode. Take care.